The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live here from Salem, New Hampshire, and we have a very special guest with us here today. We're going to welcome on the host of the Cog Dog Radio Podcast, Sarah Strumming. We're going to talk about dogs all day long. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Sarah. And Sarah, if you will, can you just explain a little bit about who you are for our listeners and our viewers, since I don't know if everybody knows you as well as we do. Sure. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um, like you said, I'm Sarah. I host CogDog Radio. I also own and operate the Cognitive Canine, which is a dog behavior consulting business. I work virtually with clients around the world, just working on those really tough behavior problems, the ones that you could really <laughs> kind of sink your teeth into. <laughs> um, and I also compete myself in agility and obedience with, I have two border collies and an Icelandic sheepdog. Awesome. And when did you get involved in dogs? Uh, just over 20 years ago. Okay. And um, kind of what was that journey like? Like how did you just your, how did you intro into dogs and everything else? Just so we're clear. Well, I was a teenager and <laughs> I had a dog that I, I just was really obsessed with dogs from childhood <laughs> And then um, finally had a dog that I could kind of do stuff with. And I got involved taking classes and doing first obedience, then agility. then And then I kind of went on doing both. I started with um, a rescue Doberman. Then I had a Dalmatian Border Collie cross. And then I got my first purebred Border Collie. And with him, I went on to compete at uh, higher levels of agility and obedience. And he was really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel like that's everybody's origin story. Yeah. Dogs. It's like, well, I had this dog. That, that was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, a major, major dog directed aggression from a super early age, like ten weeks of age. Yeah. Um, among other things, yeah. I look back on him and think, wow, he had a lot more going on than just that. But <laughs> that was the glaring, really tough thing, and, um you know, from there, I just, I just knew it was always going to be dogs. And so my career has kind of taken a lot of twists and turns, but it's always been focused on dogs, focused on their people, focused on, um, getting everybody better, getting everybody living better together. Yeah. Almost more harmoniously in a sense. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then, um, how long have you had the cog dog radio? Just so everyone understands. Cog dog radio is about six years old. Yeah. So you have a lot of content out there and Scott and I listened to one of your most recent episodes and it's great content. We even became Patreon oh, supporters. I've been going back in the oh. episodes. Awesome. <laughs> Scott's really looking back. All right. So just in case there's some of your people listening to, we just wanted to introduce ourselves just because ah. we're um, maybe not as familiar in your circle. So similar with you, I was started dogs when I was a kid. Um, my mom bred border collies and yada, yada, yada. That's a lot of fun. And then when I was seven, I wanted to do something with the dogs. And at that time, 
like nobody wanted kids in agility. Like it was like, oh, like no, it's a child. They don't know what to do, you know? So I did DISC and that's kind of how I started. And that kind of turned into a bigger and bigger thing. And when I was 15, I got to go to the world finals for Frisbee. So it was super fun. And then before college, like you, I have a BS, um, Bachelor of Science at the University of Michigan. And before college, I was trying to actually get a scholarship for junior handlers. Uh, so I got two mocks on my border collies through agility and everything else. And then during college and post-college, I did a lot of canine entertainment. So I traveled around fairs and theme parks, that kind of thing. And then when I met up with Scott, we have been pet dog trainers really for the last decade. And not only that, but Scott kind of brought his protection sport stuff into my scene because I really wasn't familiar with that at all. And so Mm -hmm. together... We have had two dogs that I have handled and he has competed with. We have his Malinois and his Border Collie. And then I was also able to host the regional and the NARA championships with him in Massachusetts. So it's just kind of been something that's flourished, the two of us together, but a lot of different, you know, ebbs and flows and everything else. So what about you, babe? You get to play too. I feel like the uh, least competent of the three of us. (laughs) You've (laughs) been doing it the longest. I know. (laughs) Jess asked me to put together a a bio, which I really don't think about my past that much. But when I started putting things together, it turned into a lot of stuff, you know. But uh, I moved to California in 88, and I started uh, getting involved with um, putting the suit on for a French ring trainer so he could work his dogs. I wanted to just see what it was like to to get attacked by these police dogs and these competitive like dogs. Like every normal person decides. I, 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 you know, <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, you know, and um, I really started to enjoy the, um, the reality that the person that's getting bit in the suit is actually doing most of the training in that scenario as far as mm-hmm. teaching the dog to be confident and really making the dog bulletproof, biting and not re-gripping and, and a lot of these little techniques as well as... Uh, showing some in- intimidation. There's a lot of stuff going on there. You know, I learned really quick how much work it really was. And uh, after putting on the suit for you know several months, close to a year, I wound up getting a Malinois puppy and found that I was really way over my head to own a Malinois puppy at that stage. I mean, before that, I had just companion animals. We had a, an English Mastiff, uh, you know, d- d- just companion dogs. So... Um, I started doing, and then no sooner did I get that dog, but the French, the guy I was training with, he went back to France. So now I got this Malinois and I don't have a guy to train with. So I went to a Schutzen club, started doing Schutzen with that dog. And then people knew that I had this French ring background. So they said, hey, why don't we start a club? So we started a club in Southern California and um, I wound up competing there and uh, titling, I think four dogs, something like that in French ring. And then... uh, while I was there, I, um, the Nosework Association, I knew these people that put together the original Nosework uh, organization. So they said, hey, do you want to, we're going to certify a bunch of trainers. Do you want to be in this first group of trainers? So I got certified as a Nosework trainer. And um, then I wound up moving back home to Massachusetts and wound up doing training a ton of people in Nosework. I had several hundred people either through seminars, workshops, or I was doing about 10 or 12 classes a week with eight dogs per class, and it was just constant. I did that for a couple of years until I was totally burnt out. And um, a lot of my students became certified trainers, so then there was a lot of certified trainers in Mass. And uh, I also re- I started the pet dog training in California also, 
reestablished the one-on-one, you know, pet dog training in Massachusetts, had both locations going for a while, and uh, started a French ring club in Mass. And um, he's busier than Jess. he thought. I was like, yeah, I was I like, we're going to do, do a short bio thing. He's like, you know, oh, whatever. I'm a dog trainer. I said, well, come up with some crap. You know, so. the, the amazing thing is, you know, having done like the pet dogs for about 20 years now is that we're seeing new, we're still seeing new stuff today. I can't believe things are popping up. I just can't believe I haven't seen this before. It's like the people are getting crazier. For some reason, the dogs are getting crazier. Uh, and it used, in the beginning, it was really, it was obedience training. It was like people had dogs that pulled on the leash. They just were like unruly and you did basic obedience and, uh, and the people were happy and the, they went off happily ever after. Now you have dogs with like deep emotional problems coming in the door and a lot of, uh, different issues that they're getting from their owner. You meet the owner and you realize, wow, might, might like have th- this whole family needs some deep therapy here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, one thing that we really liked about the last podcast that we listened to was you mentioned some ways that you use calming techniques with dogs. So can you just expound upon that a little bit? Um, I liked the way you talked about rewarding that and the arousal there and everything else. So just give us some techniques that you use with your clients and that you tell your podcast listeners, you know, to maybe try with their own dogs. Well, I think it's important, first of all, to recognize that never in the history of ever has anybody calmed down when being told to calm down. <laughs> right. Yep. So somebody tells me to calm down. I'm instantly on the ceiling. Yeah. Really not calm. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so with dogs, I kind of think it's the same thing. I'm not instructing them to calm down. Yep. I lay a really big foundation um, of really arranging my antecedents. So just setting up my environment to produce calm behaviors in the, in the scenarios that I would like calm behaviors. So for instance, when I'm crate training, it's really important to me that I arrange everything so that most of the time when the puppy goes in a crate, they are ready for a nap. Yeah. So that they start to learn, Oh, this is just the place that I sleep because that's just the thing that I do. Yeah. Um, But also I absolutely go through, you know, a couple of different procedures as well, where I am teaching the dog to kind of seek those calm responses because they have learned that those calm responses are what is going to get them to whatever it was that their ultimate goal is. Yeah. So what kind of Um, responses just so people know, because some of, we have more of a pet doggy clientele that listens and I feel like you have more of a sport clientele sometimes that listens. So just like an example of a response, just so they understand. Sure. So for instance, um, if the dog, you know, let's say that I would like to sit down and work mm-hmm. <laughs> for instance, who wants to do that? Home, <laughs> I work at home on a computer and I need the dogs to all lay down. Yeah. So those are situations where I'm going to set it up where there are cushy beds. There are probably things to chew on. If you can't calm down, I'm going to do something like there will be an X pen or maybe you'll be on a leash that's like a tether. So tethered to me or tethered to something else. So you don't have a whole lot of other options. Yeah. And I'm very, very careful not to take them from that scenario to a more exciting scenario unless I see them being calm. Yeah. So right now, all three of my dogs, because I'm talking on a podcast, are asleep. Yeah. And they haven't done anything today. This is not what they want to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> they, they would like to be running around barking. Yeah. But it is very much a trained thing because I just kind of don't allow those other things to happen. Okay. So I will set it up to where maybe we're in an X-Pen to begin with. Like my puppy, Raya, she's a year and a half. 
for the first like six, seven, eight months, she was in an expat in my office. She wasn't free to just like make all of her own choices and bounce around. Yeah. And I personally don't reward calm behaviors with food a whole lot. Um, a lot of that just coming from the fact that my dogs are very worky. Yeah. They're, they're very worky. Right. So like, if they are like, Ooh, this is a food contingency, they're going to be like, how calm can I be? Yeah. How hard can I calm right now? And like, that's actually not calm. Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. No. Yeah. They're, they're thinking, they're right? thinking through the calm. Yeah. But then I do, I do sometimes produce calm behaviors with food, which is, that's like a whole other, that's where people sometimes get confused about what I'm talking about because yeah. I also condition my dogs to recognize that the word scatter means that I'm going to drop a bunch of food on the ground. Yeah. Now I do not throw the food like Mardi Gras beads because that's very exciting <laughs> and that's not what I want. Yeah. I will actually watch my dogs visibly relax at the word scatter and start to go into scenting and start to go into kind of foraging behaviors. Yeah. So we'll pull off the trail, do a big group scatter, and then we'll go back to hiking. So things like that. So that's one way that I might produce calm behaviors with food. Um, and then, but in the other circumstances, it really is arranging my environment. Yeah to encourage those calm behaviors and making sure we don't go from uh, chaos to the thing that you want to do. Yeah, no, completely, completely. Yeah. And the food thing, it's so funny that you say that because yeah, if you're going to, sometimes even when you just start reinforcing the calm, the calm goes away, right? Like the dogs are like, oh, this was really fun. And it's the same thing. We have an exercise that we use a lot, stepping on the leash with our pet dog clients. And Scott says all the time, like, don't feed the dog, like just let the dog kind of decompress in a little bit. Like let, let the dog decompress itself rather than try to be so involved in the situation. Are you familiar with Brenda Aloff at all? Just curious. Yes, I am. Okay. So I really love too, I saw her in New Hampshire right before the pandemic, the be still. And like that took off with our dogs. Like it was really a successful Well, setup. we saw we saw um, results with that fairly yeah. quickly. Yeah. Immediate, yeah. immediate, just, just times even when like they would be really stimulated, right? Like they are at like an agility show or we get to a French ring trial and you do that. And like, that was really something that carried over quite quickly. And Willie, I'll do it sometimes when I see a really wound up pet dog client, you know, and I'll be like, Hey, like, let's try this. And the, the pet dog owners necessarily don't understand what they're looking for with like these calming signals and stuff. But it is amazing to see you know, like a dog that then does show a calming symbol, signal by like lip licking or yawning or something like it really, it was powerful for us to see, you know? So I, it was interesting yeah. in your podcast to hear about the calming stuff. Yeah. Ideally, yeah, you know, I, conditioning to, to yeah. that stuff. I think that, um, a lot of what we're doing, if we want to get like a little geeky on it, which I don't know how geeky we want to get, but like a lot <laughs> of you're geekier, you're geekier than we are, but you can get geek out as much as you I want. Mean, be still, for instance, Brenda Aloff's protocol and tethering, yeah. like stepping on the leash, those things. It is really just, it's a negative reinforcement contingency. Yeah. It's basically like when you chill, yeah. this feels better for you. Yeah. And it doesn't feel good if you're agitated and in the be still, the petting back and forth and things like that, or you're on a tether. Yeah. So it's tight for you. So it really is just a negative reinforcement contingency that. I find has, you know, obviously if the dog doesn't have like some kind of severe problem that they're showing up with, like be still would not be right yeah. for a dog that has like severe body handling issues. It's going to turn around and attack you over it. Or <laughs> the dog that has um, a really severe response to being restrained by a yes. collar, you would obviously want to start somewhere else. But a lot of these negative reinforcement contingencies are really effective because I think we don't realize how often behaviors like that are operating in a negative reinforcement contingency anyway. Yeah. And so if we can just kind of 
shift the contingency to work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's often a really, a really clear, effective way to go. Well, and like you said, when the dog calms down, the dog is feeling better. And then in turn, the household and the owners are feeling better too, right? Because the dog's yes. stressing them out less. And when the dog, <laughs> like <laughs> when she described how the puppies like are really hard and like they can cause depression, like, yeah, dogs are freaking difficult. Like they can really trigger emotions. They're not easy to live with. Yeah. One of the things I like about these techniques is that there isn't a lot of timing that's needed when we're talking about obedience training and and reading the dog and and rewarding certain behaviors and all that stuff. It's very simple and easy to just restrain restrain a dog on a leash and do some of these things to get them to calm down. It's it's easier for most people to be able to do these things. Or even like you said, put the dog in the X pen, right? Like it's a way to all right. If you're going to be an asshole. Why don't you go get in the X-Men <laughs> so I can actually yeah. record my podcast and, you know, work through some stuff. So I just wanted to touch on that a little bit because it's an interesting concept and a lot of people talk about calm and everything else. And then us as humans too, I guess we can segue right into this. Like we need to have our own calming mechanisms. Like Scott and I are pretty big on that about how we function as people and how we deal with stuff as people. So how do you feel about that? And what kind of techniques do you have for those types of things? I think, I think number one, I think it's really important, um, for people to not to get into like a guilt and shame spiral about maybe their mental health causing their dogs, mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I think we, we can avoid that. And also say that the way you function in the world with your dog does matter mm-hmm. to them. And like we were talking about dog behavior problems are really bad. Like they didn't used to be this bad. Right. And also our problems are really bad and didn't used to be this bad. And I think that so much of it has to do with we're in front of a screen all the time. We don't exercise anymore. We don't go outside and all of those things really matter to dogs as well. So if I'm, yes, if I'm trying to elicit calm behaviors from the dog and I'm not calm myself, that's probably not going to go well. That's that's very true. And I think that good, you know, it's really interesting when I watch really, when I watch training excellence, when I'm watching somebody who I think is really achieving excellence in their work, I'm seeing somebody who is really mindful. They're really aware of that moment, right? They're in that moment. They're not thinking about their grocery list. Yeah. They're not thinking about the people watching them. Yeah. They are truly present in the moment working the dog. And they're also body aware. Yeah. Like they're aware of where they are in space. And these are things that I think contribute to mental health, not just great dog training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think all of that stuff is really important. Being yeah. in the moment is huge. I was going to say that with our clients. Well, that it just reminded me, uh, I had a veterinarian ask me years ago, why would you put the suit on uh, and get bit by dogs? And that was the answer I gave him was that when a dog is running down a field at you at full speed, you, it d- demands that you be in the moment. <laughs> and I had a lot of stuff going say, on. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. I had a, a busy roofing company, three small kids, a lot of responsibilities. And when I was doing that suit work, none of that stuff was in my mind. I was just focused on the dog and working with them. And that was the big attraction. I mean, it wasn't the pain of getting bit. I never liked that. But just that I was right in the moment working with that dog at the moment. And that's what I tell people when I tell them to go out and work with their, do some healing for five minutes, but be in the moment because it's going to benefit you just as much as teaching the dog something. Cause you have like turn your phone off and just 
work with the dog and try and focus just on your dog. Because most people, they take off at their natural pace. Like they're not thinking about anything that has to do with them working as a team together. They're just going through motions and the dog is not, and they're disconnected, you know? At least from a pet dog perspective. And what's interesting sometimes with the pet dogs especially is it's almost like if Scott's, you know, doing a private lesson or when we used to do group classes at our old facility or when he was doing group classes in LA, although even when he was back in LA 15 years ago, things were a little bit different climate, it seemed. But it's, it's so funny how people are almost like, on the spot, right? Like they like want to perform right and they like want to do it right. And then that they're thinking about that. They're thinking about like, oh, I have to follow this instruction and I have to do it perfect. And Scott's like, I hear him so often. He's like, just take a breath. Like just take a, take a breath, you know? And then it's like, okay. And then they're able to be more successful just because they brought themselves back into that moment, you know? So it's it's huge. It's really big. And I, I say that to people all the time. I'm especially for persons in front of me and I see they're really getting frazzled. I'm like, Hey, breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's just dog, just dog training. Yeah. 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 And it helps, it helps the people. And then the dog's response is so much better too, because the dogs know if we're in the moment or not, like, especially if we're talking like pet dog clientele and you're working with pet dog clientele also, it's like those dogs know if you're, you know, thinking about what you're going to make for dinner, or if you're actually thinking about like, okay, like we're going to do this behavior together. They, they can tell what our energy is like in that moment, you know? Yes. Yeah. They really can. And it's, I think that's one reason I like dog sports so much, um, for just my personal hobbies, because there is nothing like, you know, it's kind of like wearing, wearing the suit. It's slightly less terrifying. I I think (laughs) running an agility course, um, They're really he couldn't he, he really couldn't remember just... 18 obstacles anyway so that's that's okay <laughs> <laughs> thanks Jess. well I, oh. he, he openly He'd admits that although although <laughs> I do have the speed <laughs> well it's funny when he that's says a that bit of an inside joke there that was like his first like intro to mindfulness almost right because it's so often right. like it's hard for us to be living in the moment and doing everything but exactly like if you're out at an agility show and you know a whole arena's watching you and you have to think about okay like I need to cue this turn and I need to make sure I'm here, there, and everywhere. If you're not in the moment, you're not going to have a very successful run. So it, as competitors, it definitely puts us in the moment. And I just think it's important that we have ways to decompress. So like if you're at a show and you're stressed, um, like a more high level show, do you have like certain rituals or anything that you do in those kind of circumstances for mental management? It's really important to me when I go, when I compete with my dogs for both of us, that we find a place to walk outside that is not near, that's not at the show site. Yeah. Um, it's really like, if I'm traveling to a show, I'm looking at the all trails app, like I'm finding a place for us to go and walk outside. So that's really important to me. But also when I compete, I like compartmentalize everything. And I, I book rest time into the day. Like if I need to show up at seven to walk the course, but then I don't run until 11, yeah. I'm going to walk the course and then I'm not going to be there. Yeah. I'm not going to have all of that kind of mental noise yeah. taking up space. Um, and I'm kind of like, if I'm at an event, I'm either there to be social or I'm there to compete and <laughs> I'm not there for both. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So um, I will, you know, I'll just book rest time into it for the dogs. The rest time will often look like we go back to the hotel and you guys all have something to chew. Yeah. While I, lay down, take a nap, yeah. take a shower, yeah. um, put on, you know, put on a podcast that I, that I want to listen to. That's not 
super thinky. (laughs) (laughs) That's not, not about dogs. Hopefully. Um, and things like that. But for me, like getting outside and moving our bodies in nature is always my number one. Yeah. Um, and then making sure that everybody's kind of fed appropriately. Like it's so important to eat well when your body is going to be asked for these really high demands. Like I would never just feed my dogs junk through a weekend because it was convenient. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Like I would never be like, well, everybody's just going to get a happy meal yeah. tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's too much work for me to yeah. put the raw food in the bowls and whatever. Right. Yeah. Over a weekend of competing. And so then it's really not okay for me to do that either. Yeah. Like it, we, it's, it's so important to take care of everything. Yes. You know, mind, body throughout, throughout those kinds of situations. And then if I get, really stressed about something, like I will absolutely, um, do some deep breathing, some stretching. Like if I really need to come down from something. Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned the diet something like that because, um, before meeting Scott, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty healthy person, but like he got us all into like fasting and like all this crazy stuff. Like we've juice fasted and like everything else. And it's amazing how, when we really like take a break like that, the benefits that we see after that, you know what I mean? Even if we just juice fast for a day now, like we're like, oh wow, like it's a nice reset for us in a sense. So it's, I'm glad that you brought up diet because yes, it's important what we're fueling our animals with, but sometimes if we're fueling ourselves with crap too, like if we're just getting the McDonald's, it's not benefiting us or benefiting how we can help others, you know? I would say it's interesting that Jess and I have had our dogs on a raw diet from, well, since the since I met you, and yeah. I, I started that almost at the beginning uh, with that Billinghurst book on the raw diet and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we know vets that feed their dogs just complete crap uh, stuff, and it's just amazing. Like some people have don't put any emphasis on diet; it's just about buying some cheap kibble and feeding their dog kibble. And dogs have so many health issues now. We're just trying to give them the best chance they can to be, live as long as they can without being, you know, getting all these different cancers and all this crap they get, you know? Yeah. And it's it's not even specific to vets, but, you know, if somebody does a boot camp or something with us and they give us thousands of dollars and they have me a bag of Kirkland, I might give them some other suggestions of what <laughs> what they may be able to give the dog later on just for longevity's sake, you know, because sometimes, yes, I would say maybe the dog's mental state or behavioral state can stem from, you know, something if you're just feeding them dust, you know, <laughs> you got to be conscious of what's going it into can. the body. Yeah, it really can. I think it's important for, I, I don't think it's one size fits all. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's important to always actually think about it. Yeah. Like, I think that's the problem. Yeah. Is that we, again, lack of mindfulness. Like, yeah. I think that it's important to kind of say, okay, you know, if you think about it and you say, this is the best I can do right now with my resources, then great. Yeah. You had the thought process. Yeah. And you thought about it. Yeah. Um, I've had dogs on kibble. I've had dogs on raw. I've had dogs on home cooked, like just depending on what was happening for them, for me in, in the life style that we had at the time when I'm kind of doing my best and they're doing their best, like then, yeah, they're all probably eating raw, um, or home cooked. And I'm also eating a lot of vegetables, like, (laughs) but that's also not 
always how we operate. And yeah. I think that kind of a balance over time um, thought process is helpful for everyone. Like, yeah. I, like I've been accused sometimes of um, telling everybody that they need to do like all of these things for their dog every single day. And like, that's really not true. Like, yeah, really do the just, best, do the best you can with what you're right. given. Yeah. Just strive. Yeah. Think about it. Put some thought into yeah. it see what you can do and do what you can do. And that's, can't do anything else. And even like when COVID hit, it was funny. Like, yeah, we're big raw feeders, but I had canned food stocked up. I'm like, if things get really crazy, like I need a backup plan here. Like I love our dogs, but like when I spent $500 on groceries for us, I was like, all right, like we have to be conscious. So just, yes, being conscious of things and being flexible and giving yourself some grace. If it doesn't always go perfectly, it's okay. And if you, if that creates more stress for you, that's not always good. One last thing I wanted to touch on, um, because we're kind of reaching across the aisle here, you know, talking to each other. Uh, let's just talk a little, a little bit of professionalism in dog training, whether it be online or in person or anything else, because dogs in general and dog owners and dog trainers, we seem to kind of like be at a higher vibration sometimes, if you will, like, and kind of like quicker to um, trigger one another or quicker to criticize one another or something else. And I think a lot of us are just doing the absolute best we can with what we're given and the tools we're given and what we see. So if you could just touch on that a little bit for me. Well, I think you just said it. All of us are doing the best that we can. Yeah. And nobody got into dog training because they don't like dogs. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. No, I know. Um, Yeah. I, I really believe that, um, excellence in dog training generally speaking, looks the same across the board. I, I wish that we weren't kind of divided because I think as a profession, because I think that I don't think the divide is useful. I don't think it's helpful at all. I think that what happens a lot is that you might have people from maybe one group really just pointing out everything that's wrong with the other group rather than kind of self-policing their own group. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot more helpful Yeah, if we self-police our own group. And yeah. I also think, again, if we all just kind of talk about excellence rather than talking about, well, you do this this way and therefore it's wrong. Yeah. Um, let's talk about how to do it right. Like, yeah. let's talk about excellence. Let's talk about really great results. Yeah. And great results includes that the people are happy that the dogs are well enjoying their lives. Yeah. And they're well, they're well. Yeah. Yeah. The dogs are well, the people are happy. Like that's kind of what all that entails. There are a lot of ways always to get from A to B. Yeah. Um, And if I might choose a different way to do it than another person, I think there are definitely people who just heard me say that I might put a tether on a dog and step on it and they just fainted. (laughs) Right. So that happens. They, and they, maybe they just take a hike and it'll be okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, um, I think that, you know, I just think that, like you said, it's really important to maintain professionalism and, and recognize that we're actually kind of all in this together. Hopefully. I, I would hope, right. As a, as a, as a society, as a world, like at some point we want to right. get there. Like I think yeah. I have the same yeah. goals that you do. Yeah. And if we get there different ways, but we both get there, yeah. then I'm not sure what good it is then 
Yeah. For me to say that you got there wrong. Yeah. And to celebrate everyone's wins, right? Like we all want to see each other succeed. And just from that point, you know, I, uh, I mean, I was a little kid, like, it's not like I was compulsive or anything else, but you know, I was very passionate about positive reinforcement training. When I, you know, got my first border collie that was bred specifically for sports and everything else, I went right to Susan Garrett's puppy camp. I loved her recallers program for my dog. Like I was all about that. I don't, personally trained with compulsive tools with my own dogs. And Scott's been a balance trainer. He was a balance trainer in California. When we worked together here in the New England area, we're balance trainers. And even when you showed up here, somebody called you and gave you shit on the phone. Remember that? Yeah, well, <laughs> because I was, the only, I was the new nose work instructor yeah. and everybody wanted to do nose work. And this trainer called me up and started berating me on the phone because I was a yank and crank trainer and then wanted me to teach her nose work. <laughs> <laughs> that, she, that she wanted to come and do nose work classes. But, you know, I mean, some of that, like, we can only, we are all doing the best we can with what we're given. And when you know better, do better, all of these things and stuff. But like, it's just, to me, it's a lot about just be kind. Like, let's be nice to each other. Let's support each other's wins. We want the best for dogs. We want the best for people, ideally. Like, I want to see everyone succeed. If I go watch an agility trial, I'm not like, oh, I hope that one knocks the bar. I mean, granted, if, you know, you're going to get the win, maybe you're kind of hoping, like, there's a miscontact or something. <laughs> but, you know, I, I want to, we're trying to build everyone up, at least us together. And, you know, I would like to see that happening in our industry because dogs are a lot of fun and dog people can be a lot of fun. And rather than getting clicky and niche and everything else, like, let's just work together as much as we can and play nice in the sandbox is kind of how I see it. Well, I will say that when I was very involved in the nose work, that was kind of an olive branch across the aisle because I had a lot of trainers that were all positive coming to me yeah. to learn how to do nose work. And they were mm-hmm. great people. And we became friends. We, we, were all, we didn't train the same way, but then they would, if they had an exceptionally difficult client with a dog that wasn't working with their methods, they would send the dog to me to try and see if that would make it better. So that was kind of, that sport did at that time in my life introduce me to a ton of uh, really talented, all positive dog trainers in New England. So that was kind of a nice benefit of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely come from um, a balanced background. I, I actually hate all these labels because I think by a lot of people's definition, I would be a balanced trainer. And then by a lot of other people's definition, I'm not. Yeah. So for me, I'm just, I'm really just trying to do my best all the time. Yeah. Um, I haven't used a prong collar in probably 15 years, but the reason I haven't is because I haven't needed it. Yeah. Not because I think it like they should all be melted into a statue of a dog and <laughs> mm-hmm. put on. We might need that metal at some point Obviously. here. I don't know how, I don't know we how don't supply know, and demand right? are working. We might need to melt them just for, for getting things into <laughs> so, the country. You know, so I think that, um, Again, it's about excellence for me. Yeah. And if I, let's say I had a client that was, I actually looked, I had a client probably 10-ish years ago that I look back and I'm like, you know, a prong probably would have been nicer for these old people with this catahoula than (laughs) the tools that you were trying to use. And, you know, it's, we all just kind of evolved the way that we evolved. Yeah. And um, I love that you got, you know, involved with these nose work people and had that olive branch and had that kind of connection, um, between some people who maybe don't agree with you all the time. And maybe you don't agree with them all the time. Like that's life. That's, yeah. that, that, that's America. Time, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. Is there anything else that you want to touch on that we haven't discussed? 
No, I think I think we've had a great conversation today. All right. Well, thank you so much yeah, for coming on. It was great on. to meet you, and yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to more of your podcast. And you know, we missed the quirky tip of the day. I said to listen. I just didn't Did honk. Okay. Yeah, we can do yeah. it again. The quirky. We'll we'll end with the quirky <laughs> tip this time. I was like, oh shit, I didn't honk. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. It's too late now. But again, if you guys missed it, the quirky tip of the day is to go check out Sarah Streming's podcast, The Cog Dog Radio. Um, we have listened. We've become Patreon supporters. She's doing a lot of good out there for dogs and people. And just find somebody that works for you and methods that work for you to make your home a harmonious home. That's all we're looking for. That's all we want to give people. And I would assume that's all you want to give people. More harmony, the better, I would say. I would say. All right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for and, coming, um, Sarah. We'll see you guys next week. Keep it thank quirky. You. <laughs> This is why we don't go live at noon. <laughs> the views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.